Welcome to the Becoming More Significant podcast. And this is all about helping you to become more visible, more credible, and ultimately more profitable by becoming more significant. And you have a smorgasbord of offerings to tap into. So over 50 wonderful podcast conversations with incredibly inspiring guests, each of whom are being truly significant in the world. And they're sharing wisdom and insights that helps them to continually have an ongoing impact in the world by being ever more significant. Then I have 10 Wisdom and Insights episodes where I have captured the golden nuggets from those conversations. And in each Wisdom and Insights episode, I share from either five or six episodes, the key learnings, the insights, and the practical actions that we can all take right now to become more significant in the world. And then my third offering is some snapshots of the learning that I have been doing over the last few years. I am a learning junkie. I'm constantly keyed into audiobooks, to podcasts, to TED Talks, to online courses, to mentoring. And I'm learning so much all the time that I'm sharing with my clients. And so I want to do that through the podcast platform as well. So I will be putting together very short, probably 15, 20 minute sessions on key learnings and again, key actions that can help us all to become more focused, tap into more of our potential and make a real and lasting difference in the world. So lots to choose from. And thank you so many of you for supporting the podcast over the last couple of years. It's been great to have you on board. And long may you continue to tap into the wisdom and gems of the Becoming More Significant podcast. Wherever you are today, I hope you're shining brightly. Have a great day. So my guest today is the incredible Russell Dalgleish. Russell is the chair of the Scottish Business Network, the managing partner of Exalta, a serial entrepreneur and coach focused on using his skills, experience and networks to support people in business. He's the national director in Scotland for the Global Entrepreneurship Network, coordinating access to an international network of support for those aspiring, committed and growing entrepreneurial ventures. Now, Russell set up the Scottish Business Network with Christine Essen after perceiving a gap in the market for bringing together Scots in the UK capital. And we're going to be talking a lot more about this. But just a couple of more things uh, about Russell. Um, Russell uh, is a member of the Scotland Trade Board, chaired by Ivan McKee, Minister for Trade, Investment and Innovation. He holds multiple non-exec and board advisory roles, and he is regularly named on the list of 100 most influential British entrepreneurs and one of the most influential figures in technology today. Now, just in case you think it's all work and no play, um, Russell, since turning 50, has developed a passion for endurance events and can often be found at weekends, mud splattered, clambering over obstacles and trying to keep up. Russell, welcome to the Becoming More Significant podcast. Hi there. Good to be here. Ah, what an introduction. What a huge number of responsibilities you have. How on earth do you manage to juggle all of those roles and responsibilities? Oh, that, that's really easy. What I discovered was that my personality is better attuned to working on multiple different sort of points of interest for me. So I discovered that that was something I had a natural inane ability for. And it's driven by the fact that I only appear to be able to remember the important things. 
So, um, for example, I'll be terrible for forgetting people's names, but I will remember that S- Sylvia is a coach and usually wears yellow. So, <laughs> so, so, so I will, I, I will, I will have these couple of snippets that mm-hmm. are enough, enough for me to um, sort of uh, move the conversation forward, if you like. Um, I'm. It's it's been really strange. It, it, it is. I've I've got a list here of projects that's a, a mile long. But most of it is where I'm helping other people to do things. So I, I don't actually drive anything myself. My job is to help others. Brilliant. And that's what becoming more significant is all about. It's about the difference we make in the world, the impact on others, and how we inspire them to then go and have an impact on other people. It's like a ripple effect. So, Russell, I'm sure you haven't always juggled all these multiple careers. Can you... Give us a little bit of, you, you know, your journey to where you are today and what's made you the person you are today. So um, I was born in the Scottish borders. So the, the town I was born in, Selkirk, my family have been there for 400 years. Um, I was the first generation to go on to further education. But I was quite fortunate to go to college because um, I was pretty poor at school. But then when I turned 16, I realised that... Um, I really wanted to leave the small town I lived in, and there were two options. What I saw people doing was they went to college or something called a university, or they went into the army. And at six foot five, I reckoned I was too big a target to go into the army. So I grafted incredibly hard to, in one year, pass a number of exams, which gave me an entry qualification to go to college. Wow. Um, I wanted to go and study computing because I liked Star Star Trek or Star Wars or things like that, Doctor Who. So quite like that, that looked good fun. So that was my entire insight onto technology. So I applied to do technology degrees and was very fortunate to enter a business technology degree at um, Edinburgh Napier College, now a university. So that was kind of the journey I went on. But just, <laughs> just to show you the kind of the lack of sort of preparedness. It wasn't till I got there that I realized I was doing a sandwich course, which meant that the third year of the course was spent in industry. So um, I was, I continued my poor performance educationally and um, scraped through the courses. And I can remember the the turning point for me at university wasn't so much what I learned, um, but it was, uh, we had this sandwich course so the Bank of Scotland came in to choose someone to be, it was the first time they were going to take a student. Wow. So they were going to take a student for a year as a computer programmer. So there was, there was the Bank of Scotland came in quite late into the process. So there was only two of us left. So there was me and James. So uh, me and James turned up at the bank to see which one of us they wanted. And James's hair actually touched the ground. Ah. Right? So the bank chose me. <laughs> And uh, that was quite transformational because it gave me a, um, a year's work experience. So when I graduated, I was able to go back to the bank. And um, I had a really successful career as a technologist within the bank. Um, and I've got this inbred desire to never really be satisfied. So I became a really successful technician. And the bank sat me down one day after four and a half years and said, you've been promoted really quickly. Um, but now we have to, you now have to focus your career. Do you want to be a technologist or do you want to be a banker? And they asked me to go and think about it. So I had a thought about it and I returned to the bank the next day and resigned because I never really thought about it, but I didn't want to do either of those things. So um, I kind of, and then my career kind of went on from there that I went to join a a company called Ingenico that does credit card terminals. And I, I moved from computer programmer to business analyst to support analyst to sales and marketing person. So wow. it, was kind of, it was an interesting one, but it was, it, was a, it was a real breakthrough moment when I was hired to be uh, to enter the, the disk drive industry. So um, the three and a half inch disk drive to anyone in the fifties will know was the one that was inside your PC on your desk. Yes. And the three and a half inch disk drive is actually copyrighted in Glenrothes in Scotland. Wow. So it was invented there. This, this key piece of technology that changed the world. So there was a spin out from this company, Rodine, called Kaluna, and they were looking for someone to come in and be support manager. 
So they had a company that had just IPO'd. Everybody in it was an engineer. So I was the first non-engineer ever hired by this company. So my job was to answer the phone because what was happening was whenever anyone had a question about these disk drives, they would phone the number and an engineer would answer. And engineers love problem solving. So they would stop whatever they were doing to work on whatever the next problem was. So my job was to stop that happening. So in the first week, I was doing calls with um, the likes of NASA and the Russian military. No wow. idea what anyone was talking about. Amazing. I, my, but that was, my job wasn't to understand. My job was to vet and then sit down with the engineering director and explain which of these um, projects should you work on first. So it was that, that was tremendous. You know, we had technology in the space shuttle and stuff, and it was just it was just amazing. But it, it, the the big advantage with that job, which would have been the late uh, early nineties, was that I got to do a lot of international work, mm. and that really changed my career. Which was I just adored being all over the world, making all these connections and doing all these exciting things, and I I just loved it. And I I, I went through a period of being. Um, one week on what one week of the first week of the month would be in California, week three would be in Taiwan, Japan, and it was kind of a it was a cycle like that. I did. Wow, you must have learned a lot about yourself doing all of that, all that travel and 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 meeting yeah. with incredible people and all that amazing technology. I mean, you must have grown up fairly quickly in that period of time. Yeah, I think I think you also learned to act a bit. Okay. So, so, so people would expect you to be. Um, so, so it was. It, it taught me a really important lesson about what I think doesn't matter. What matters is what the person on the other side of the table thinks. Hmm. So, when I walk into a room, say in Tokyo, to talk about disk drives, I'm assuming the people I'm going to talk to are going to know the subject. What's going to interest them is the fact that I'm Scottish. This is, this is an interesting thing is the fact that you're Scottish, Russell. And, and we would do deals because Japanese companies would want to spend time in Scotland. So they could buy their disk drives from anywhere, but being able to buy them from the place where all the golf courses are was particularly appealing. Yes. So you would learn that it wasn't always the logical, it was the individual's driver that was important. No, the mm -hmm. technology still had to work and the price had to be right and the service had to be correct. But that was that was fairly amazing. I also found out about scale of the world. So one day we got a phone call from General Electric, whose locomotive plant was in on Lake Erie on the US US-American yeah. border. And they would be, they'd been testing some of our equipment in locomotives on their test track. So the idea was that I would fly out to go and spend, and this was the world where you get the call in the morning and be on the plane from Edinburgh to Heathrow to Lake Erie that day to nice. go and see them. And, um, and they said, and this was the, the, the story's about how big the world is. So they said that they, they, were, they had a problem on the test track for their locomotives. So I went out there and got to Lake Erie and said, where's the test track? And they went, well, it runs from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. That's our test track. <laughs> wow. Oh, good. So the trains aren't here, Russell, they're about a thousand miles over there. So, oh. and you suddenly struck you on the fact that those words that I'd been brought up to understand, test track. So a test track would be like a thing. It would be in a town. It would be yes. a distance. Yes. Not the fact that you guys are dealing on a different level of mm -hmm. anything I've ever comprehended before. And, and that kind of experience, more than the jumping on planes going from city to city, educated me about how big this world was mm -hmm. and how you could really, the, the, the people were the same. They were adults, educated, in work, worried about paying their mortgage, with families, with kids at school. And that was the thing that bonded us all together as people all over the world. And it didn't mm. matter whether you were in Beirut or you were in Blair Gowrie. You still had this, the same pressures affected us as individuals. Sure, sure. And there's something, I know I'm a bit biased because I'm from Glasgow, but there's something about being Scottish that kind of gives you a little bit of an advantage. Doesn't People kind of want to, they're fascinated by Scotland. And, you know, even when they've never been before, they want to know about Scotland and talk about it. And like you say, they want to visit it. So, you know, have you're, you found that? You're right to a certain extent. However, what I discovered was people are obsessed with, or, or as individuals, we're interested in something that's different. 
Yes. So most of the time, the people I was speaking to in the States would think I was Irish. Ah, there okay. were some that was convinced I was Dutch. You, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the Scottish thing. It was more the European thing. We've got a European right. coming. He's from okay. this. And it'd be really funny because what we'll say to him is you're English and then he'll say this. You know, you know you'll go, oh, English. Yes. And, and it, it, it's those kind of things that are quite interesting. You would get advantages whereby, you know, someone had some historical link with Scotland and you would be in a meeting and that person was going to back you. Mm. And, and that, that was really quite intriguing about our, our, our past and our history. Absolutely. Now, Larsa, I know that you have spent um, a lot of time investing in yourself and getting to know yourself at a deeper level and, and personal development. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey and, and you know, how you've evolved as, as a person over the years? So I had a fairly typical experience in the workplace whereby I would be successful at the level I was within the company. So that would mean that I would get promoted. Right. And you tend to get within a company, you get promoted through a HR controlled system. And then you get to a certain level where you're part of the leadership team. Mm. And then once you're part of the leadership team, you're actually in direct competition with everyone else who's part of the leadership team. Yes. And that's really quite strange experience because I didn't enjoy it working for big companies because I wanted to go out and spend time with the customers, not worry about the fact that if I was out the office spending time with the customers, the other people in this leadership team might be leveraging against me or something. And it just, mm. it, it, it just the politics just, I, I just couldn't stand it. So what I decided to do was to, I was better working with smaller companies. Okay. So, and, and when I went into these small companies, I would go in as like sales manager or product manager. And within a couple of years, I'd be managing director. Okay. Now, that's about, that's about doing your job well, but it's also about being politically savvy enough to align yourself to, to get to these roles. So, so, mm -hmm. so I, I went I three companies in a row. I was basically managing director. Largest one was about 200 million turnover. Wow. And, what I discovered when I got to the top, you know, I climbed up this ladder and I got to the top and I've got a lovely big boardroom and it's my, my boardroom um, and I'm in there. What I discovered was that my life consisted of me, the finance director and the HR director. That was my life. You know, and I get to speak to the staff and inspire them and everything and have the odd customer call. But most of the time I was involved in internal meetings, which I just found awful. Yeah. We, we, we sold a company to U.S. investors out of Detroit, and every month they had a six-and-a-half-hour conference call. Oh, my goodness. Now, and, and I would try to explain. <laughs> I, I'm representing Europe on these calls. And I tried to explain, you know, you do realize, guys, we're watching the football or we're doing our expenses. We're not, we're not taking part. In, oh, no, no, no. Everyone's taking part in the call, Russell. <laughs> it's just, so it seems silly. So anyway, I discovered that my personality Though other people decided I was good at being managing director or chief exec, I felt it wasn't really me in my heart. Mm. What I enjoyed doing was spending one-to-one -one time with customers. That's what I really enjoyed. Right to the extent whereby I came up with this model whereby I would actually get allocated a desk in the customer's premises so really? that I could spend more time with them to help them. Now, mm. from a sales perspective, that's pretty cool. Right? But... I wasn't the sales guy, of course, I was the chief exec. So, so, so what I discovered was climbing this ladder got me to a level where the external world would say great success and I would go, I don't like this. This isn't what I want to do at all. So um, I went through a lot of trying to decide how did I get out of this? So I actually planned it quite well. So for the last three years in that kind of career, I spent time as a non-exec or an advisor to small startups. So I would spend time with them and it would give me some idea of what the outside world looked like. And I would start maybe mentoring some of these young people that were running these companies. And then when I did eventually step away from the corporate world, I had a new world I could dive into. There was things I could be doing. So one of the people that I worked with was a young chap called Bruce Walker. Bruce runs an Edinburgh company called Future X that does a lot of work with young entrepreneurs. Now, Bruce was fantastic. So I met Bruce when he was 18 or 18 or 19. 
And he called me up and he said, um, I want you to help me with a conference I'm putting on. And I went, great, that sounds, sounds the kind of thing I'll do. So I mentored him and helped him with this conference. We put on a great conference and a great success. And then he said, I said to him, what's next? And he goes, I want to do it again. And I said, but that's boring. And by the way, you're now 19. The chances of us not having an accident the next time are pretty low. You know, something will go wrong, right? So I persuaded him that the next conference we put on would be in San Francisco because we were talking about technology. So why not do that? Yeah. So he looked at me as a 19-year-old and said, that's never going to work. No one's ever going to back me as a 19-year-old to put on a conference in San Francisco when I've never been to America. And I explained to him, yes, they will, because the big companies will look on you as their idea of a young entrepreneur and they'll want to back you. Yes. So he had, he had to go in and see, I think it was the Royal Bank, and he went in to see them and he was giving them a little report about how our Edinburgh conference had gone. So he had seven slides and I sat with him in Costa Coffee in Glasgow just before he went into the meeting. And I said, go and add an extra slide at the end. And he went, okay. So I said, right, put a picture of Hong Kong and a picture of San Francisco on that slide. And then when you reach that slide in your slide deck, tell them that's where you're going to put on your next event. And he went, I'm not doing that. And I went, save and shut the lid on the computer. <laughs> so he went in and he did this. And he goes, and I remember who said to me, he's going, like, then I turned to the last slide. He expected them to laugh at him. And of course they didn't. They all went, brilliant idea. What initiative from a young man. So we did that. And, and that, that was me mentoring him. Right. But the reverse mentoring was way much more fun, mm. which was he introduced me to Airbnb. He introduced me to social media. He introduced me to Uber. I remember sitting there going to book my first Uber, going, go on, you do it, you do it. No, no, you do it, Russell. And we did that. And that opportunity resulted in the most incredible experience to educating me in how younger people saw our world. And that was transformational for me. So not only did I, I learn about these tools and techniques, but I learned about how people thought about using them. Yes. So I was brought up. Um, in the Scottish borders in a very strict school. Not, right. not particularly a good school, but it was a very strict school. So education when I was a young man or young boy involved doing exercises. And if you got the exercises wrong, they had this motivational tool, which was called a wooden ruler. Oh, The wooden ruler would be used by wrapping it across your fingers. So that way, if you did something wrong, you wouldn't do it wrong again. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, if you train people like that or educate them like that, they're not going to take risks mm. because they're going to associate risk with sore fingers. Yes. So he re-educated me to take these risks. And the risks were, I'll, I'll give you an example of what we did. So we, 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 we delivered events all over the world. We, we delivered events with the um, University of Abu Dhabi. We were in, um, remember we were at an event with Elon Musk in uh, Hong Kong. Oh, so we did all these crazy things. Now, to show how thinking was different from a young person's point of view. We flew back from Hong Kong through Dubai to, to Edinburgh and we slept on the first leg. So we were wide awake for a seven hour flight from Dubai to Edinburgh and the, the plane had Wi-Fi. So we were talking, because we spoke the whole time and as we took off, we were talking about the fact that um, big business needed someone to deliver a consultancy service, which taught big business about young entrepreneurship. So we took that as an idea. We um, created a website on the plane and uh -huh. launched the website to say, we're a company that teaches big businesses about young people and entrepreneurship. So we launched, we gave it a name, launched it, bought the URL, used this amazing software called Strikingly. We launched the website on the plane. We also went through LinkedIn to create a mailing list and actually sent out messages to potential targets looking for meetings that could be held that week for our new company. And that kind of way of that, that was the way the world was to young people. Now, to me, if you're going to create a website, I'd been brought up in a big company where you, you know, you do a tender, you'd select website development. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm going, but, but say there's a spelling mistake, we just fix it. So, so that kind of unique way of getting someone from the next generation after me, two generations away, to explain how they thought, 
that revolutionised my thinking. Completely changed my thinking. I, I remember um, we, we needed a logo for um, for the company or one of the companies. And um, we, we got a quote from someone in Edinburgh who charged us £500 to meet us and come up with a logo. And instead, we spent $10, we spent $15 on Fiverr, which had just recently launched. And we got three people to design us logos and then chose one. <laughs> and you suddenly went, that's a really weird world I didn't know existed. Exactly. I love that, Russell. I love that reverse mentoring. And we learn so much from people from different generations, don't we? We learn, learn from the older generation because I am, um, I've got an ex-neighbor who's 93 and, and during the pandemic, I've been doing his shopping. So I get to talk to him every week, which is fabulous. And I learned so much from him. But then you've got the younger generation. My daughter's doing some work for me at the moment because she runs a gardening business and it's uh-huh. very quiet. So she's done loads of branding for me on the um, Becoming More Significant podcast. She's created a new logo for me. She's completely revamped my LinkedIn profile, my YouTube channel. And she does it like that because that's that generation. So stuff. Did you know how to do that before you asked her? She she knew how to do some of it, Uh but she's learning as she goes along. So like, you know, uh, you know, I've got her Adobe um, uh-huh. she's gone, now got Shutterstock and they've got a way of um, they've also got software on Shutterstock where you can reformat their images and add text and all the rest of it. So she's learning as she goes along, but she's a really fast uh-huh. learner and she's also incredibly creative. So she loves what she's doing. So she's really in flow doing this stuff and it's taking a hell of a lot of pressure off me. But I just love that working with different generations. It just brings such a magic mix to the table, doesn't it? It's brilliant. And it is. And I think it's so I speak to a lot of people who say that they want to become non-exec directors. Mm. And I say, well, well, just go and go and phone up a startup and tell them you want to help them. They're probably going to say yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the way to get that. That's the way to get involved. But but being open to that that learning experience from the market mm. is incredibly important to me. And it, and it taught me to just to try things and see what happens. It taught me to think internationally. And it, I got a lot of fun out of it as well. I have mm. to be honest, because it wasn't, it wasn't people my age talking about what their golf handicap was. It was yeah. people, we, we did, I remember I did something with Bruce whereby we were trying to do a brainstorming session to think differently. And yes. we were doing it in November in Edinburgh and it wasn't working. It just wasn't, no, neither of us were really into it. So I said, right, let's reschedule this meeting. We'll do it in a month's time. And we were out in, so in a month's time, we were out in, in Abu Dhabi. We were doing a, a conference with um, the University of Abu Dhabi. And then um, the university, while we were there, sort of paid for our, I think they helped with our flights. So it meant we had a couple of extra days. So we went and run that same brainstorming session in um, the, the main palace, the Sheikh's Palace in Abu Dhabi. Wow. Which has got a machine on the wall where you can buy gold bricks from. You oh know, it's, everything's made of solid marble. And if you're wanting to be creative in your thinking, think you can change the world, it was amazing to sit in there and we're brainstorming it and we've got a little cup of coffee. And it was really interesting about that, that how you can change your mindset with what's possible. Mm, mm, absolutely love it. And and Russell, one of your big passions is the Scottish Business Network. So how did that come about? Where did that idea come from? And just explain what it is so our listeners can understand. So um, Scottish Business Network is Scotland's uh, business diaspora network. So we pull together people with an interest in Scotland and business and we connect them. Um, and we, we, we do this all over the world. Now got people in seventy-seven countries, I think, across the world. Wow! So it it came about through, as most business startups, through market need. So I was spending, though I've always lived in Scotland, I've spent a lot, big chunk of my career in London. Hmm. So myself and a a lady, Christine Essen, were having a meeting once, and we said, "Well, there's nothing that really brings Scottish people together in London." who have an interest in business, because we thought it'd be quite good to do that. It'd be good fun to bring us together. No, we can bring, we can come together at a burn supper or stuff, but that's not really what we want. Yeah. So we thought, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll start arranging monthly meetings and we'll bring people together for these monthly meetings. Um, 
but we'll have to have something for them to do a show. I'll tell you what, we'll get we'll, we'll invite Scottish companies who are trying to crack the London market, and we'll invite them down to pitch to this audience for help. So that was our idea. So every month we'll do an event, Scottish people come together, Scottish companies trying to look for connections in London will get a chance to present what they do and people will make connections. That was that was our theory. So we started the fairly typical position, which was we had no money. So we thought, well, if we're going to put on an event, we're going to need a room. So Christine's sister worked at um, what was is now Aberdeen Standard Life. Yes. So, so she got us a boardroom. She got us a, a small, a small, the smaller boardroom um, in Cheapside to actually have the event. And we thought, well, that's great. And then what happens is you start reacting to the opportunities that come along. So um, Aberdeen phoned us. And we went in and we met with Jeff Aberdeen and he said, um, I hear you guys are using one of our rooms. And we went, oh, oh we're going to get into trouble here. And he said, I think that's a great idea. Why don't we provide you with um, some nibbles and drinks? And we went, free drink, Scottish people, this will go down well. <laughs> so that's what we did. But, but what really surprised me was that um, two weeks before the event, Martin Gilbert, who was, was chief exec of... Um, um, Aberdeen at the time, and had built Aberdeen from nothing to what mm -hmm. it was. His PA phoned me and said that Martin was going to be in the office that night. He'd heard what we were doing and he'd quite like to speak. Wow. And Martin had just been named one of the top 10 CEOs in the world that week. So, so, so I've got this wonderful email where um, Martin's PA sent me the words he was going to use so that I could approve them. <laughs> <laughs> no money we're a startup we've got a room and on off we went so that was what happened we had 19 people together in a room amazing. one of the world's greatest ceos doing a talk and everyone thought this is amazing i'll have another drink and, and wonderful canopies and everything so that was our model so we thought well this works quite well let's start phoning up other big scottish companies in london or or companies that have senior scots on their board and ask if we can use their boardroom and they all said yes amazing <laughs> so, so we, up, we did, did an event at, um, we did, was it Aberdeen? I can't remember. We did an event with one of them where they had wine waiters on hand for all our staff. We had, we had a, a, an art exhibition at one of them. So we did all these wonderful things. And it, so we started to help Scottish companies, which was the big thing. Because people would say, look, Russell, we've met all these people. We worked out, we developed over time a model that helped us do the delivery. So after about 18 months, we got some press coverage. Um, and then we started to get Scots from all over the world who said, could we get involved? We like wow. what you're doing. This is really important. And we're going, oh, how are we going to do this? So, so we, we've then scaled the organization, probably still in startup at the moment, to the fact that we've now got a, a global operation, um, offices in Edinburgh, London. We're about to open an office in New York. We've got a technology platform that links these Scots together. We deliver hundreds of events. We make hundreds of connections for people. Well, you've, you've been to some of them, you know what it's like. Yes. And it's this, it's this mixture of business and culture whereby you're kind of with your chums because everyone's mm. got that quite similar accent. Yes. Remember, we, had, we, we were at um, one, of our, one of our meetings and um, the host got up to speak and he summed up being Scottish in London better than anyone else because he went... <gasps> Fantastic. I can speak at normal speed. You're <laughs> <I love laughs> all going to understand, right? Anyway, you have to go. And we kind of went on like that. So we've now got a stage where we're now appointing ambassadors around the world. And we've got 15 ambassadors in place from um, Bangalore to Los Angeles. And Amazing. we're growing and scaling this operation. And it's wonderful because it fits in with my mindset about helping others. So we're simply just there to make these connections. And, and the connections we can make are fairly significant. So we have contacts at the 200 largest companies in the Western world. We have, and what we really enjoy is when someone says, can you get us a contact at NASA? And we go, yeah, well, sure we can. Off we go and do that. And so so it's, it's a diaspora organization and it's based on the premise of helping Scotland through um, business growth. It's awesome. And, you know, I've absolutely loved the meetings I've been to. I've worked with some of the fellow members. I've had the opportunity to present. So it's been really brilliant. Um, but you've had some awesome young entrepreneurs with really yeah. unusual businesses, haven't you? Yeah. 
incredible but you know on the isle of harris you know creating harris gin and um of who stands out for you tell us about somebody that stands out for you a young scottish entrepreneur who's doing something well, I, think you, I think you, you mentioned um jamie there in harris yes so what, what's what's really so so we have um essence of harris is a brand based out of the islands itself it's run by an entrepreneur jamie mcgowan and the um you know, they capture a lot of the, the meaning of the Western Isles and the flavour of the West. You know, if you've ever been to Harris, you know, Harris does not look like Earth. You know, it looks like a, a different thing. It's an incredible island. So they capture a lot of that in the sea and the light and a range of products they have, typically scented like candles and things like that. But the way I met Jamie was really unusual, which was I was on the, um, I, I was on the, the bus from Glasgow Airport going into Queen Street to get the train and I was talking to my colleague, Christine, on the phone. And when I hung up, a hand came over from the seat behind me, which was Jamie, who said, I've got to work with you guys. You can help me. And that's what we've done. So we've helped wow. him with um, introductions and stuff and, and really sort of supported him as he's developed his brand globally. And um, this year has been particularly, in uh, 2020 has been particularly interesting because so many of us have had to change our business models a little bit. Mm -hmm. yes. And then... Um, Part of that change that Jamie went through was to move away from physical retail to much more online sales. Sure. And the success of that can be seen by the fact he was in um, Vogue China. And he was also uh, the star of um, Secret Entrepreneur on Channel 5 just before wow, Christmas. Wow, I didn't know that. Amazing. <laughs> no, it's, 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 awesome. it's, it's an amazing story. So, so we've seen someone like that. Now, he uses the Scottish element of what yeah. he does is very important. And what we've discovered is that the whole world is intrigued by Scotland. Mm. So we kind of get the difference that Scotland and Ireland are quite different things, quite similar, but quite different. But there's, there's this defined thing of Scotland. But the world doesn't really know what it is. So the, the world devours Scotland through programmes like Outlander. Yes. Um, through sports stars like um, uh, Andy Murray. You know, that's a great brand for us. So they go, that, that Scottish thing's kind of interesting. And then the assets of Scotland. So from castles, tradition, whiskey, you know, mm. all, all these different things, golf. And right through to the fact, of course, that Scotland puts on the, um, so the, Scot the Edinburgh Festival, for example, yes. which is still not that well known, but it's the largest ticketed annual event on the planet. It is you know, awesome. so, so we've got all these amazing assets and everything. So that's what I think really intrigues people about Scotland and what we try to do is to um, answer that need by delivering mm -hmm. Scotland and a lot of it's to a diaspora audience so if you think about a diaspora audience it tends to be people who are either first generation Scot or second or third generation Scot so yeah. if, if you were we did a brilliant one with um, uh, someone who's a restaurateur in Los Angeles now, he was, he was born in Salt Coats, went to school in, in Florida when his parents moved to the US, and then went on to being a highly successful lawyer and entrepreneur in Los Angeles. Wonderful guy. But so, so that the story of his career success is really, really interesting, and what he's achieved is inspiring. But when he mentioned to me that he'd moved from Salt Coats to at 13 going to school in Florida, I said to him, what was it like to be the palest lad at school in Florida? Yeah. And simultaneously, he was saying that this is what it was like. So, and, and, and that's really interesting because we, we get that. We could imagine the wee Scottish accented guy yeah. in this school in Florida. <laughs> yeah. But unless you're part of the diaspora, you wouldn't think that. You would think mm. immigrant coming to Scotland. I yeah. think it was so funny about it. He had, um, there was one lad in his school who could understand his accent and had to translate for him. But, <laughs> but so, so what we try to do is this mixture of business coming from innovation and entrepreneurship, along mm. with this cultural piece. You know, yeah. and it was a brilliant piece. It's still my favorite story was, every year we do Scottish International Week. Yes, I was part of it, loved it. Events. It's great. Amazing speakers. So we did this event with um, international, um, young Scottish students from international backgrounds. And we had this lad in Glasgow, and his, uh, I think his dad was from Iraq and his mother was Scottish, some, something like that. So in order to, within our culture, in order to engage with him, an interesting question is based around about football. So if Scotland were, if Scotland were playing Iraq at football, who would you support? You know, it's an interesting question. And his answer 
was the best answer I heard to any question all year. So young lad, 21, studying at Edinburgh University, mother from Iraq, father from Scotland. I ask him, Scotland play Iraq, what football team do you support? And we think about Iraq and the trouble and violence that's been there. And he looked into the camera and he said, I'm a Celtic man. <laughs> and isn't that, that's, that's something so Scottish. It's just, Brilliant. of course you are. Of course you are. Please forgive my daft question. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And Russell, you are so well connected. Like you say, when, when we have those meetings and people say, I need a connection, and you always know somebody or you know somebody who knows somebody. How has that come about? How have you become so well networked globally? It, it's come about through asking for help. So um, someone like Sylvia will say to me, um, I'm looking for, I'm, I'm, I've heard that IBM are looking for some coaches. Do you know anyone at IBM? So what we'll do is we go to um, see who is within our, our sort of, we call it a Kent base, so people we can. It's to look at that and say, do we know someone, do we know the person at IBM you're after? And then I'll come back to you, Sylvia, and I'll say, that's not precise enough. Who specifically is it at IBM you're trying to get to? And you'll say it's, and it's Tom Burns. That's who I'm trying to get to. So we might not know him, but we'll be able to track other senior Scots within IBM and say it's Rochester. And then we'll go to them and we'll say, hi, and I know you're Scottish like I am. We've got the Scottish coach, Sylvia. She's got some really exciting ideas that might be useful for IBM in Rochester. Could you introduce her to, to this chap? And everyone always says yes. Because what we're asking for makes sense. It's not a hello, do you want to buy this? It's, mm. would you like to do this? And it's exactly the same as if someone came to us and asked for an introduction, we'd try and help. Yes. And so we're, we're basing our entire ethos on that mentality of introduction and helping. And, yes. and what we find, though, is people then engage with us and then they're wanting to do more with us and find mm. things to uh, find Scotland, if you're, if you're from Scotland and you don't live in Scotland, you would like to find some kind of tie-in back yeah. into Scotland, and we provide that. Brilliant. And I love the big question, which is, what's your laser-focused ask? <laughs> I love that question because so many people say, oh, I want introductions to HR directors or learning development or whatever, and, and you, know, you really push for that laser-focused ask. And I think that's brilliant because it really makes people focus on what is it they need. And that really helps them, not only with that connection, but then with networking and et cetera, and what they're asking for in the future. So it's absolutely brilliant. And, and, um, and the, key to, the key to all, though, is data. Yes. So if you think about it, when I first um, went to work, if someone had told me to go and find Scottish people in America, I'd have started off by going to the library. And then I would have to have got a list of names that I would have phoned up. So now I can now we, we've got some fairly cool tools that we use to interrogate data sets around the world to find people. Wonderful. I love that, Russell. Russell, on a completely different subject, um, what's this, the tough mudders and everything? What, what are you doing there? Is this, is this a midlife crisis or is this something you've loved extreme sports for a while? What is it? Um, so I was on the board, I'm on the board of a, a company in Glasgow called MBN. And the yes. chief exec there, Michael Young, suggested um, the team, this would have been six years ago, we're going to take part in a, a, a Tough Mudder event, which is a half marathon through mud um, and over obstacles. So we all said we would take part. And then I started training. But what, what's, what's really interesting for me, though, is, is the process to get there. So as an individual, I'm target-based. So if you asked me to get fit, I could sort of do that. But if you ask me to get fit enough to do 26 miles through mud, that's I've got to be a fairly level of fitness to do that. Yes. So, so what we did was I started to train myself. You know, just like like a business person, we try to learn ourselves to a certain extent. Yes. And I, I, I lost weight and I got fit and I could do the running thing. So that was quite good. But in order to do the event, I had to be fitter. So at that point, I hired a coach. And what the coach did was to analyze me just as I would with a client, I'd do an audit of me and work out where I wanted to get to and then detail a plan on how I could get there. Mm -hmm. And the key thing was nutrition. 
So I thought just keep on running and that'll do it. It wasn't, it was nutrition. And that was a real learning lesson for me about the advantage of having a special, the need for a target and having specialist support. Mm -hmm. And I used that in my business career as well, which is I'm surrounded by the best support team in the world. So I'm surrounded by people who who are very happy to give me, to work on projects with me or to help me, or I need someone to look at this from an investment perspective, or, hey, do do you know someone in France who could look at that? Is this a trusted person in Abu Dhabi I'm going to work with? So, So having that kind of support specialist around about me has been awesome. But um, it's now ended up being um, a bit insane. So, so, so we did. We, we, we could do the you know, running through mud bit. So then we started to do longer events. So two years ago, we completed the, um, oh, I can't remember what it was called. So it was an event where we ran and cycled from Nairn to Balahulish. Wow. So that was about 100, was it 100 miles or something. Wow ending up in a kayak. So so we started to do more and more things like that that became more adventurous. And and it, it's interesting at my age as well, because I don't have to try and win because that's not going to happen. Mm. But but the, the pure joy in finishing is <laughs> amazing. So that, that's, that's... And what's that done for your, like, health, well-being, et cetera? Um, well, I'm probably, probably, well, 18 months ago, I was probably the, the, the fittest I'd ever been in my life. So wow. I've discovered that you can actually be incredibly fit in your 50s and hopefully into my 60s as well. Mm. Um, it's given me a confidence, I think, an, an inner confidence with the fact that I'm, I, I, you know, I can take on these challenges and, mm. and do them. Um, and it's given me a structure. So there's a structure whereby, oh, I'm, I'm going to be doing this event and the, the next <laughs> The next event we're doing is the end of May, which is the West Highland Way. Oh, yes. Yes. So we're going to try and run the 95 miles in 24 hours. Oh, my hours. goodness. Okay. Wow. So, it's just, so, so you have to be a certain level of fit to do that. Mm. So you start working your way through from now till then as to how fit you have to be to do that. Sure. And um, so that, that, that provides a structure because you're trying to work, what am I going to do on Saturday? Well, at some point I've got to run 30 kilometres, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to puzzle that into the day yes. and you get a great feeling of it, it, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks when I do the events yes. or, or when I train for the events but it's good and of course you know it's not just the exercise it's got so many peripheral benefits because you're releasing the the feel-good hormones so it kind of powers you up for the rest of the day it helps you to sleep better when you're exercising you naturally eat better as well so it's got a lot of peripheral benefits which then of course impact on the way you are in business because you're much fitter healthier you've got more clarity so the whole thing that whole exercise thing and building it into your life it's got a massive difference massive difference it's and I think these are all, you know, following the path that you have for your life. You know, mm. so, so to my life, I have sp- specific things I want to achieve. Yes. And it's really, it's, it's really weird. Um, I, I don't think we talk enough in business about are we doing the things that we want to do for the right reasons for us? Yes. You know, are, are we, are we, are we, are, are we building this career to buy a second house? Well, why do we want a second house? What, what's mm. the purpose? You only have one house at a time. So, so there has to be reasons and purpose behind that. Family gives us a great deal of purpose because we have to be able to provide and help our family. So, so we have that built in. But I think that that understanding what understanding why we're doing what we're doing mm. is really important. And does it satisfy our need? So, yes. um. Scottish Business Network's a perfect example because I did a lot of work on myself a few years ago and identified the fact that I I, I don't really enjoy the social aspects of being with a group of people, but I do enjoy being on the stage at events. Yes. So I've built a career as a public speaker because I like that, that interaction and I'm very comfortable mm-hmm. with it. And if you're on the stage, you get to meet everyone in the room without having to wander around to meet everyone. So that mm-hmm. worked. I love international travel. So doing Scottish Business Network kind of makes sense because Mm -hmm. it answers a lot of those needs that you have from a personal desire point of view. 
It's amazing. And, you know, that's what being truly significant is all about. It's, it's about finding that work that gives you a real sense of purpose and fulfillment and joy. And then just by doing that, you naturally inspire and uplift everybody around you, which is just fantastic. Russell, we've come... I think it's just, just to finish like that, I think yeah. it's really important to fail at things as well. Oh, so yes. What I wanted to do was to start... Uh, um, I had an idea about... Uh, um, sunk quite a lot of money into actually a, a, a charity based at Falkirk, which was to work with certain types of individuals. And okay. I really wanted to do that. And I built that up. But then what, but the process I realized was the fact I was rubbish at helping people in that way, because it wasn't my area of domain experience. Okay. So my experience is business. Yes. And the thing I'm probably best at is this introduction piece. Mm. So, so let, the only way I could learn what I was good at was to find out the things I wasn't good at. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Russell, I'm sure people will want to get in touch with you. I'm sure there's more Scottish people out there listening who think this sounds an amazing network. How can they get in touch with you? Um, the easiest thing is to um, just contact me through LinkedIn. Yes. Or the easiest one to do. So I'm there at Russell Dalglish. Wonderful. And have you got a last thought, insight you would just like to share with our listeners? I, I think anyone at this present moment has got to be thinking about the future. And our future is likely to be significantly different at the latter end of 2021 than it was in 2019. Mm. We've seen changes happen commercially or in, in the commercial sector in our society to things like the 2001 recession, the 2008 recession. But our world's going through quite a significant change. And a lot of the things that we've taken for granted may actually change. So we've seen one thing, which was we kind of all assumed we were part of Europe or the European community. Mm. Now, we're not part of the European community, but we're still part of Europe because that's, that's geographically where we're positioned. So I think we've got to start accepting the fact that um, things can change and things may continually keep on changing. And we've got to be sort of being willing and ready to adapt to that. So I do a thing about people going through, say, career transition. Yeah. Step one, start building your network. Make mm -hmm. sure you have a network outside where you currently are because you're going to need that and you're going to need to learn how to reach out to people. So I think there's a thing about trying to imagine what is the latter part of 2021 going to look like, 2022 and going forward? And start making sure that you think you kind of fit in that. Yes. Wonderful advice. Russell, I could talk to you for another hour, but unfortunately, we've run out of time. It's been fascinating. And you are being truly significant in the world and making such a difference. So thank you so much for being an amazing guest. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Becoming More Significant podcast. And I really hope that you've taken away some practical steps to take right now to help you unlock more of that hidden potential that we are all only scratching the surface of. If you would like to discuss how I might be able to support you in your journey into greater significance, please get in touch it's calendly.com forward slash Sylvia Baldock for a no obligation free initial coaching call to find out how together we can make sure that the coming weeks and months are your most significant ever. Take care.